0: This is
2: Make it point. Point. Make it M.I.P. With Massimella Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke. Former assistant U.S. attorney and host of the Justice Matters podcast. He's also been, you know, he, he's not only just doing analysis, he's trying to do things as well. Uh, one, to help victims of violence. Two, um, to continue to hold the Trump administration accountable. And if there's time, we'll, we'll touch on all of that as well. But wanted to get his expertise on what is going on with this trial, uh the Derek Chauvin trial. Once again, Glenn, thank you for your patience and welcome back, buddy.
1: Hey, happy to be with you, Rev.
2: Yeah, and, and it's been it's been too long. Glad you're healthy and looking well and all of that good stuff. So let's let's start with the most recent e- event first the The testimony we've seen, it, it just in the past couple of days has really made the case that George Floyd could not breathe, that this was, you know, a result of Derek Chauvin's actions, correct?
1: Absolutely. You know, yesterday, Dr. Tobin, a, an expert right. pulmonologist, testified. and you know for 30 years, I was slugging it out in court as a prosecutor. 22 of those years, homicide prosecutor in DC. So I put on more forensic pathologists and more expert witnesses than I can count. I have to say Dr. Tobin was probably the single best medical expert witness I've ever seen because what he did is he gave the jury the one, two, three of George Floyd's death, which they are not going to get from Dr. Baker, who is the Hennepin County medical examiner who actually performed the autopsy i got uh, Dr. Baker's uh, autopsy report right here. I carry it with me. Have, have autopsy report. Will travel. Um, and it says some really um, unusual things in my experience as a homicide prosecutor. First of all, he said that the cause of death was cardiopulmonary arrest. Well, Rev, everybody's cause of death is cardiopulmonary arrest because all that means is the heart stopped and the respiration stopped. We all all die of cardiopulmonary arrest. And if you flip the page two of his autopsy report, he said that he found no life-threatening injuries. Specifically, he found no injuries to George Floyd's neck, either externally or internally. Those are really curious findings in an asphyxial death when you see that bad cop's knee pressing down on George's neck for nine minutes. So what the, what the prosecution has done brilliantly is they put on a series of experts to frame and diffuse what we see in this autopsy report. Dr. Tobin gave us all the one, two, three of what it means. One, he told us what cardiopulmonary arrest means. Heart stops, respiration stops. But then he gave us the two. Why did it stop? It stopped because he was deprived of enough oxygen to live. He gave us the three. Why was he deprived of enough oxygen to live? Because of what Chauvin and the other officers did to him as captured on tape video. He gave us everything we need to convict. And now they're going to bring Dr. Baker on, but his, his curious autopsy results have already been framed by Dr Tobin and the others
2: what do you think is behind dr baker's behavior or agenda uh, is this i don't great i'm sorry yeah
1: I, I don't know that he has behavior it has an agenda so here's the thing i've talked to lots of my medical examiner friends that i worked with for decades parsing through everything he said everything he said is technically accurate He did die of cardiopulmonary arrest. And let me finish his conclusion with respect to cause of death. He said cardiopulmonary arrest during police restraint and neck compression. So, Uh But he didn't say police restraint and neck compression that resulted in a deprivation of oxygen. So I'm not faulting him. He gave kind of the big picture. I think he could have been more specific. I'm not a forensic pathologist, and I don't play one on TV. Um, but he accurately described the fact that there was no, there were no injuries either externally or internally to George Floyd's neck. But the key is, in order to cut off the oxygenated blood to the brain or the or the blood coming from the brain that needs to go to the heart and get oxygenated again, you only need four pounds of pressure. And you're yeah. not necessarily going to have injuries externally or internally. But none of that is fleshed out in the autopsy report. I, I think he could have been a lot more specific. I don't think he had an agenda. We haven't seen the man testify yet. So right, let's right, see how he right. does. But yeah. you know what? I'm telling you, the prosecutors are putting on a brilliant case
2: so he could actually get more specific on the stand and in, in fact it would seem to me glenn it would be hard not to under examination you know because e- even if the prosecutor asks the very questions you're asking i mean you you have that ambiguous statement he died of cardiopulmonary arrest which everyone, which all of us are ultimately going to do glenn G- glenn has just informed all of you that's what's going to happen to all of us if, in case you wanted to be something else um and uh, it, 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 during, I don't I don't want to get the words too wrong, but I'm paraphrasing what you said, during restraint um, without saying. So, I mean, I didn't go to law school, but if I'm the prosecutor, I said, well, Dr. Baker, are you saying that the restraint caused it? And he's got to say yes or no or say something or say that he finds it inconclusive. I think it'd be hard with all the other testimony. For Doctor Baker to say no, absolutely not. Don't you? Yeah, I'm I saying. think
1: he's gonna. I think he's gonna fall in line. Not just to fall in line, but because when you ask him those more probing, more detailed follow-up questions, he'll have an opportunity to say, "Well, yeah, I could have put all that in my autopsy report, but that's not the practice. The practice is exactly what I did, and then I expand on that if I'm ever called to testify."
2: Right, right, right. Got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Now, the, the other witnesses have also pretty much refuted this defense argument that George Floyd either uh, died from fentanyl or from um, any other preexisting health conditions. Was that knocked down well, you think?
1: Uh, that was powerfully refuted by, by witnesses and, for example, a forensic toxicologist, somebody who is in the business of reading the results of testing on people's blood tissue samples and bodily fluids to see what you have in you, right? Yes, he had fentanyl. Yes, he had methamphetamine. And the doctor yesterday said the levels that I saw in George Floyd's blood might be levels I would see in a DUI or a DWI, a drunk driving, an impaired driving case. Not lethal, period. Next question. Burgeoning heart disease had nothing to do with George Floyd's cause of death. Next question. So all of that, that's just defense stuff getting thrown into the mix, hoping that one juror will get confused. I don't see it happening.
2: And and also, um, wasn't there a pretty strong refutation of the argument that Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's shoulder, as opposed to his neck? I saw the, the defense went through a lot of pains to try to paint that picture different. It was on his shoulder, It wasn't on his yeah. on his neck, and that and, was pretty and, much. Easier.
1: And it was on his shoulder. I think when the medics walked up, he may have shifted it from his neck to his shoulder. So fleetingly, it may have been on his shoulder. But you know what Dr. Tobin told us yesterday? He pinpointed the moment that George Floyd's life left his body based on what he saw on those videos and how he could die. He was an expert pulmonologist who is the author of a book referred to as the Bible of breathing,
0: Right. right?
1: And he said right there, is the moment I can tell you in my medical opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty, which is the standard by which experts offer opinions. Right there, the life just left his body. And guess what Chauvin did for three more minutes after George Floyd was dead? Kept that dang knee pressed down on his neck. I mean, it was
2: so powerful. Yeah. More MIP after this message. Have you ever seen in in all your years of of prosecuting cases that many police officials pretty much unanimously uh, (laughs) um, um, go against another police officer? Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen that in any trial. I've had the opportunity, I mean, we don't see every trial on television, but I've never seen anything quite like that. I mean, there there was really no hedging on the part of his superiors that I found in terms of them saying what he did was not the right thing to do. No, the the
1: police officers just blew right through that thin blue line that often stops them short of testifying against the fellow officer. And I I was inspired by Chief Arredondo, the Chief of Police of the Minneapolis Police Department. He was so strong, so thoughtful, so sober, so circumspect and so definitive about how uh, Derek Chauvin violated police policies in not one, but four ways. Whether it's excessive force, whether it's an inappropriate neck restraint, which did not have just momentary light to moderate pressure, he blew right through that. Whether it was um, the requirement that you render aid to a citizen in your custody and care, he blew right through that. Over and over and over again, Chief Ardondo said this was wrong, violated all of our policies and procedures. And, you know, in that moment, I was inspired. And I just wish people would look at Chief Ardondo and say, this is the kind of public servant the citizens deserve. We absolutely deserve police officers like Chief Ardondo.
2: Yeah, but but the, the, his use of force training officer, I believe it was, he wasn't bad either, was he? I mean, <laughs> he was he was good.
1: Lieutenant Lieutenant Zimmerman. Yep. There was Sergeant Yang. All of these, you know, I think Sergeant Yang would might have been the crisis intervention trainer, yep. and Zimmerman, and and uh, and there was a third one, Mercil. They all came in, and, and importantly, Rev. Not only did they say, "Here are our policies regarding excessive force," but they also said, "And by the way, I can tell you, Derek Chauvin took my excessive force training." in 2018. He took my crisis intervention training in 2016, because it's not enough to say that we have a policy. We have to be able to prove that You know, Derek Chauvin wasn't out in the street, busy choking somebody out on the day we gave that training. So maybe he missed it. No, he took that training. So he knew full well that what he was doing was wrong. What he was doing, Rev, was it was a public execution of somebody that, he wanted to hurt for reasons that we still don't know beyond maybe he's just a racist SOB. Um, but that was, you know, that was an end of life video that we all watched and that was an intentional killing of an unarmed incapacitated citizen.
2: Yeah. And, and, and quite traumatic to watch as, as I'm sure like you did with all the rest of us hearing the testimony of the witnesses was, was heart wrenching. Um, People suffer PTSD from lesser experiences. Um, and to hear those say, even the young lady filming, you know, do I film or do I help? What do you do in that situation? And and God forbid anyone is in that situation because folks without the video, we don't know about this. But at the same time, at what point do you, I mean, going through your mind, do I stop videoing to to help? And then how can I help? Because these are cops, they may turn on me. Um, well, you know it, what,
1: you know what, Rev. If it were me, and this is not a criticism of those sure. uh, of those citizens who struggled mightily to figure out what to do and how to stop the murder. If it were me, I would have caught a case and the case would have been assaulting the police officer to knock him the hell off George Floyd to try to save George <laughs> Floyd's life. And, and Rev, let me tell you, as a 30 year prosecutor, I would not have brought a criminal charge against a citizen who went up and knocked Derek Chauvin off George Floyd's neck. Why? Because the law allows for defense of third parties. And that's what a citizen would have done if they knocked Chauvin off Floyd's neck. I would have caught a case. I'm not lying.
2: <laughs> Y'all, uh, let me see. How did I say this? So, so the ter- term for that is APO. You heard a former APO. U.S. He would have called an APO. Uh, honestly, I don't think that's the first time of uh, folks, we've heard Glenn Kirshner say something like that. <laughs> that. He might've caught a case in a certain situation, but that's what makes him unique. Uh, for those of you who hear this and are considering petitioning Glenn to move to your jurisdiction to run for local attorney general or something, I'm <laughs> sure you're doing that as we speak. Uh, but now, in terms of the prosecution's case, and obviously you feel good about it, but as a prosecutor, anything at all, it doesn't have to be, but it was asking, is anything at all that you would have done a little bit differently. Is there anything they've yet to do that you would advise them to do going forward in this case?
1: No, I I never tried a perfect case. I always made mistakes in my case. I cannot spot a single mistake that they've made, but it's not over until it's over as Yogi Berra would say, right? And here's what's coming from the defense that I, I still think is gonna be consequential to this case. So there's the marquee expert witness that the defense intends to call is a guy named Dr. David Fowler. I know Dr. Fowler well, because he was my expert witness in some of the toughest cause and manner cases I handled as a homicide prosecutor in DC. So I I would hire Dr. Fowler as my expert forensic pathologist from time to time. He was the chief medical examiner for the state of Maryland for a couple of decades and he is a really accomplished forensic pathologist and a terrific trial witness. Maybe not as good as Dr. Tobin, but he's close. He came up in South Africa. He's done more autopsies than 10 medical examiners in the States combined. He's got a lot of gravitas. He's got that really compelling South African accent. I mean, I really, I I respect and admire him and put him on the stand as an expert witness so i know how strong he's going to be and here's the one word that we all have to look out for and that word is adrenaline and the reason i say that is because at the very end of the defense attorney's opening statement he said folks george floyd died from a combination of drugs in his system heart weakness heart burgeoning heart disease and adrenaline and the minute i heard that i said here comes dr david fowler he's going to talk about When somebody is restrained, I worked in a a restraint case with Dr. Fowler. When somebody is restrained, their body will produce a surge of adrenaline that impacts their bodily functions, their organs, their processes, the heart, the lungs, the brain. And it can create problems in 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 a body. Now, not fatal problems, because that's not what George Floyd died of, but the goal is not to prove to the jury's satisfaction that George Floyd died from an adrenaline surge or a drug overdose, the goal is to create confusion and get at least one juror to say, I can't quite get to guilt beyond the reasonable doubt. So the jury hangs and they have to do it all over again. That's the goal. And, you know, the defense has got something to work with, in my estimation.
2: Mm hmm. So, how can the prosecution try to get around that? I mean, what if if and this is as interesting someone you know it's kind of like being traded from a baseball team and you have to face that team again? You know the pitchers, right? Yeah. So you know Dr. Fowler, you're you're dealing with him as a prosecution. How and I hear what you're saying, folks. That's the thing. These things can be very procedural at times, just a little, little sliver of a loophole that you can get through. How what would you advise the prosecution to do to prevent? that loophole so the prosecution is in its case
1: in chief when they get to present all of their witnesses up front then they have to and and they're getting everything out of their medical experts that they need um but they're not what i would call pre-budding the adrenaline thing why because then you're raising the issue and you're giving it more profile than it deserves you have to wait until the defense expert starts to contradict what your experts say, then you go at them and cross and importantly, you call your medical experts in your rebuttal case after the defense has put its witnesses on and you knock down anything that their witnesses said that you think might've gained some traction with the jury. So at the end of the day, I'm not concerned because this murder has been proved beyond a reasonable doubt, but there are still some tactical battles to be fought um, moving through the rest of the trial.
2: Last thing on this case, and I want to move to a couple of things real quickly and get a couple of updates from you. Um, um, we haven't talked. So real quick, your thoughts about, because again, we're talking about a jury. We're talking about the possibility of one person. Some of us were a little uncomfortable with the jury selection. What, what are your thoughts about about that? Are you, are, 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 do you feeling confident about this jury and and its makeup and it doing its job?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's an anonymous jury. We can't see them. We don't know their names. I've tried some RICO trials where we had an anonymous jury because of the potential threat to jurors. This is more of a potential publicity problem for jurors, right, if we know who they are. Um, Based on what we do know, I think the jury that is impaneled is fine. It's a somewhat diverse cross-section of the community. And I think the power of this case, particularly the video evidence, is just, it's undeniable. And I think anybody who might, as a juror, have some lingering feeling like, well, you know, I really like the police or I really don't like the police. I really kind of feel bad for somebody who's on trial. No, you know what, you're on trial, you get what you deserve. Listen, people have all sorts of opinions on those kinds of topics, given their life experiences. I just don't think the evidence will, um, I don't think their own personal concerns can possibly outweigh what they see with their own eyes and hear with their own ears from the expert witnesses. So I have, I really have zero concern about an acquittal, a not guilty verdict. I have this much concern about a hung jury because we get one kind of stray juror who doesn't doesn't want to convict.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh okay, a couple of things real quick. As I said, folks, uh, uh Glenn, you know, fights for um the rights uh and healing of um victims of violence. So um as a matter of fact, Joe Biden um in two days in a row now has been in your wheelhouse. You know, first he announces on uh Thursday uh <laughs> about the gun violence initiative and the program for that. And I know a lot of people, I work with a lot of people who fought for that money to to, to go into communities to deal with gun violence and violence interruption. Uh, uh, Friday today, which I was not expecting, a commission to study whether we should expand the Supreme Court. Oh, my God. So (laughs) on those two issues of justice and on the first one, feel free to relate it to your work. Uh, I'm sure you must be feeling pretty good about Both of those initiatives.
1: Yeah, we should expand the Supreme Court. We should expand the federal trial and circuit court judge uh, benches as well. Not just to neutralize the unqualified Mitch McConnell judges that got crammed down our throats, right? Not just that, but think about this, Rev. The federal judiciary, the federal judges have been begging for more judges, begging for more resources because their caseloads tick up over time. And we basically say, yeah, sorry about your luck, just deal with your expanded caseload. You know, so it's win-win. We're giving the federal bench what it needs to do its work and we're neutralizing the unqualified Mitch McConnell judges, so that's a win-win. Supreme Court, as we all know, nine is not a magic number. The Constitution doesn't say nine justices. Over the nation's history, we've had as few as five we've had as many as 10 Supreme Court justices. Let's do this because this death match over one Supreme Court justice nominee changing the balance for the whole country is insane. We've got like my friend Ellie Mistal, we got to ratchet up the numbers significantly. So that's a beautiful thing. Gun violence, that was the, That's the bane of America's existence. Yeah. I watched the speeches yesterday when Joe Biden was announcing his initiatives, his executive orders, and I, I love what Merrick Garland said. He said, we are not at a moment of crisis. We are living amidst a permanent crisis. And 11,000 Americans have been killed this year, courtesy of gun violence. And you know how many more thousands were injured non-fatally? as right. a result of violence, and we're going to con- continue to sit back and do nothing. I know the Republicans love that NRA slash Russian money, but we're going to do nothing. Are you kidding me? So Joe Biden has been so strong. I'm going to say surprisingly strong on so many fronts. And I think he, he seems to have come to the conclusion that enough is enough. I'm not just going to go along and give up my principle for bipartisanship. I'm going to have a concrete impact and I'm gonna do some good for the American people. So I, I embrace it. I'm excited at the prospect of actually making some progress, especially on the gun front.
2: Yeah, no, no, very important. And I agree with you. Um, Also folks, uh, Glenn has been urging um, further investigation and prosecution um, And so glenn and i don't forget we live through all this some folks like to move on and to the next media cycle but we know what happened and i don't think anyone should forget um what trump did and his allies how how's that going in terms of making that argument and and pressing for that um in in i guess a number of jurisdictions yeah so we're not going to
1: stop pressing for justice for more than a half a million dead americans and their family members until we get some investigations into avoidable COVID deaths. You know, I can tell your audience real quick, there are just three things you have to prove to hold somebody accountable for negligent homicide. You have to prove that you acted in a grossly negligent way, Donald Trump did. You have to prove that your grossly negligent conduct was reasonably likely to hurt someone, result in death or serious bodily injury. When you're dealing with a deadly pandemic, check that box. The third element, which sounds more ominous than it is, is that your grossly negligent conduct, which was reasonably likely to hurt somebody, caused the death of another. People say you can't prove cause. You can't prove. Donald Trump didn't shoot anybody, didn't stab anybody, didn't strangle anybody. You can't prove he caused the death. Here's the beauty of the law. Rarely do I say that because the law is ugly. Here's the beauty of causation in the law. Causation is defined as your conduct being a substantial factor in bringing about the death of another. Doesn't mean you shot him, doesn't mean you stabbed them. Means something you did or failed to do as president was a substantial factor in people losing their lives. Donald Trump is guilty of negligent homicide. Take it from an old homicide guy. Give me a case file, let me walk in front of a jury. I will prove Donald Trump, Jared Kushner, Mike Pence and others are guilty for avoidable COVID deaths. And we don't mm-hmm. stop talking about this on behalf of half a million dead Americans until we get a little bit of justice.
2: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Glenn Kirshner, ladies and gentlemen, follow him on Twitter. Uh, Glenn Kirshner to keep up with he's he's literally giving minute by minute updates of the trial. He's an expert at this, as you can see, and a former prosecutor. So you can't be more objective than that um, in terms of, of how this is going. Glenn, we appreciate you, buddy. As always, it's been too long. Let's try to get together a little more often here in 2021 okay thanks rev i'll see you soon all right see you soon buddy thanks for getting woke and listening to make it plain please remember to listen like and wherever you get your podcasts please give the show a five-star rating and please do spread the word let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police demic if all hearts and minds are clear it has been made plain